0: to Psalm 131. Psalm 131, that's the next song of ascents that we're going to study together. Of course, the uh, song we just sang is the song we looked at last week when we looked at what? where those words come from that we just sang? They sound real familiar. We looked at them last week in Psalm 128, the blessings of happiness, blessing of heritage, and the blessing of hope that were heaped onto our plate by the Lord's hand. Remember that? If you had your plate, we compared that to the rich blessings that we saw on our Thanksgiving Day plates. But we also wanted to ask at that time, not just as we stare at heaps of things on a plate, but we wanted to ask ourselves, how did they get there, remember? And did you enjoy them? Are you enjoying them? As the Lord gives these to you, as he fills your plate that was last time in the Pilgrim Series, and today we're going to find ourselves in this next psalm that we've, we've looked at, uh, Psalm 129 already, Psalm 130 next week, Lord willing, but Psalm 131 for today. And by now, maybe you're seeing, hey, it's only three verses long. So what could possibly be said in such short order? How could three verses affect, well, my life? How can three verses speak good news to my hungry soul. Do You really want to know? I hope you do. Rejoin me in the pilgrim's path as he marches up to Zion in this latest psalm, Psalm 131. This is God's word. A song of ascents of David. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. Let's pray together. Father, the grass withers, the flower fades, but your word stands forever. And so rightly we come before you now and humbly we come before you now and expectantly trusting that you will lead us into grace and truth and into the comfort secured by the Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Simply looking at the physical evidence, I have to conclude that uh, I have problems with my posture. You seem alarmed. Um, I have a history of back problems, plus the, perhaps you know that neck surgery thing. I've worn out heels on my shoes, and most recently I've been noticing a rather consistent pattern in my wardrobe, and that is worn elbows on my long sleeve sweaters and shirts. What's up with that? Is this just part of the aging process? Apparently, I'm slouching and leaning on my elbows a lot. That can't be a good sign, not only for my shirts, but also for my bones, right? Let's face it, um, posture has consequence. It affects how we walk, Yeah. That's how we feel sometimes, and as I'm seeing lately, it reveals what I'm leaning on a good bit of the time. And you know what? The same is true of a song, the likes of which we just read. It shows me where I'm leaning, or should be leaning, and even why it is that I might be showing signs of wear, not, not on my elbows, not on my sweaters. But in my soul. In other words, this psalm can help point out problems in spiritual posture, how we walk, where we wear, and on what we are leaning or should be leaning. Which will mean for all of us what? That when the sign of wear is in your soul, your posture, my posture, Will need adjustment. In these three verses, we're going to find at least two adjustments that are well worth examining if you want to consider this an examination of your posture. We've been looking at various aspects of the pilgrim walk. Some seem peculiar, and this one might seem too. But in terms of posture, what is it that can be seen and said about this work as the Holy Spirit now examines you through His Word? to probe your spiritual posture from the inside out. I don't know if that will prove painful or not. It's not supposed to in the sense of where it ends. Because in the end, any necessary adjustments will be by the Spirit, by the Word pointing to the truths of what you need. And in our bulletins today, we've summarized various needs, and we've done that in terms of these two words, kneeling and reclining. So far, how does that sound? I like the reclining one. Are you kneeling? Are you reclining? Are those two positions, are those two postures that describe your soul today? Or could the opposite be said of you? Are you reaching for something? Are you striving for something and somehow wearing out your soul? Let's take a look at the testimony of one of the pilgrims who went before us in the walk. This is the walk of faith, the walk up to Zion that we've been following for some time. The Zion that eventually leads to the heavenly Zion, right? Ask yourselves as we follow him, is this my song? It's a psalm. It's a song. It's a song of a sense. Is it my song? Why or why not? Beginning with that opening line, which by now maybe we could take for granted, but we shouldn't. So let's revisit it at least briefly. See it there. It says this: "A Song of Ascents of David." And I'll remind you that is part of the inspired text. That wasn't added later by you know, Zondervan or some Bible. That that's part of the text. And the, at this point in the song, really at this point in the series, um, if you've been following it, we we do well to keep in mind who it is that's writing this particular song because this song would have been sung, if you remember, uh, for centuries. We're we're going to sing it again today. And it's been sung for centuries by God's people as they walk the road of faith, especially on their way to worship, uh, to one of those festivals, one of the Jewish festivals we've seen already. Specifically here, they, I can say we, we, are singing with David. Who's David? Do you know who David is? A little brief review of the resume. David the shepherd. Okay, I remember. David who slew Goliath, that great enemy of God. Oh, yeah. That David? Who else is David? King over Israel David? Yeah. National hero David? Warrior David? Poet? Musician? Murderer? Adulterer? David, child of God, man after God's own heart, that David, that David, evidently he has a word worth singing, a word about the soul even, and a word that could be summarized in yet a single word, you ready, sigh as I say, contentment, contentment. That's the picture, that's the posture being presented here. Does that have your attention yet? Contentment, got contentment? If you're one who knows the wear and the weariness of a soul that is not content, maybe even malcontent, bitter. If that pain, if that problem ever creeps into your soul and into your walk, then let's examine the pilgrim posture as we find it expressed in verse 1 in terms of what? We're going to call it the needfulness of kneeling. It's it's a need, the needfulness of kneeling. Kneeling is a very particular posture that ought to be true, you get this, on the inside. You know, you can kneel on the inside. These are spiritual postures. Look at me again at David's first verse. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. Stop. Three things, maybe see these, three things he is not. Okay? What are they? Three things, they all have something to do with this inner posture of kneeling. Uh, making, Making yourself lower, if not actually lowly, humble. It's a good place to be. It's a good place to be on your knees. It's not very American, perhaps. But it's a good place to be, spiritually, if not actually physically. Oh, Lord, my heart is not proud. It's not lifted up. That's another way of saying it. How's that for a song starter? You ready? Ready to hear that one on the radio? That's how it starts. Remember, this is from someone who had quite a resume. if not a reason to boast. Could someone really boast? Dave would be on the list. People that could say, well, you know, (laughs) I am king. Um, I got that going for me. Man after God's own heart. So, yeah, he's not, he's not boasting here. It's both within and out loud he could boast. But this is, he's top dog, Mr. Everything, high and mighty, but not before the Lord. No. Before him, this king is kneeling. He knows that's where he belongs. He's bowed down. He's submitting to the sovereign Lord, the one who is in control of all things, to his king. So his heart is not proud. What else? And his eyes—we have his heart and his eyes—they're not haughty. It's also translated—they're not raised too high. Can you see the picture there? Do you know what the—can you see what the picture is? Um, haughty, in fact, comes from the word high. the The picture here is of someone who is not um, interested in looking—well, uh, looking down on others. That seems to be the picture of the day. I'm not interested in looking down on others. Effectively, seeking to take God's place would be that position. If you are so high and haughty, you are in a position, a posture, of looking down on others. How many want that? Usually we think of the word haughty and think, that's a bad thing, right? You don't want to be associated with haughty, whatever that means. Well, it means high. You're looking down. You're looking down on others. It's position. Arrogance is another way of saying it. It's one expression of a proud heart. Also, verse 1. The psalmist says he doesn't need to do that. He doesn't need to exalt himself, puff up his heart so much that he can then ascend to this position where in his eyes, verse 1, in his eyes, everyone else is beneath him. Maybe literally. Arrogance. Highness. That's not humility. Again, it's not kneeling. It's just the opposite of kneeling. And as we'll see, this too, this, this lowness is part of the posture of contentment. And, and you might hear that, and, and that might sound a little convoluted. How can you be content if you're not above others? Explain that one to me. How can, you, how can you be content if you're not above others? You know, if you're not better than someone, if you're not higher than someone. What kind of song is this? What about my promotion? That posture. That posture. And so while the world is stumbling over the first two knots, David adds a third one. See what it is? We've already tripped, perhaps. He does not concern himself, verse 1, with great matters or with things too wonderful for him. See that? What does that mean? You can almost hear someone say, well, that means that you shouldn't talk about deep thoughts. That's not what it means. Does it mean that David didn't want to achieve anything in life? No. Or that he didn't do anything in life? He has no ambition. David's lazy. Well, we've already been over that. No. Is he content simply to sit around? Is that where he gets his contentment? Just get a good uh, television set with the satellite, and you will find contentment. You can sit. Yes. I understand the posture of couch potato right that's contentment for some people that's not what he's talking about they didn't even have cable then <laughs> David poet king warrior etc he's not talking about this is what he's saying he's saying I don't need to go beyond what God has planned for me I don't, I don't need to I don't need to look behind the curtain so to speak are you familiar with the picture do you want to look behind the curtain say God what are you doing back there uh, I need to know I gotta see what God's up to does not concern himself, verse 1, with those kinds of things, the things that God is not pleased to reveal at this time. And you know what? Maybe never. Certainly not in this life. There are many things that God will not tell you, things that right now, I used to do this with the teens, I still can I'll do it with you right now, ask this question. If you could ask God any question right now, what would it be? There are things you want to know, and so do I. Are you content with the prospect that God isn't going to tell you? Now, if it's a question like, what must I do to find contentment? He tells you that. And David's confessing part of that here. That's not behind the curtain. That is right in front of your face, black and white, and it's the gospel truth that is being expounded even by David. 1,000 years before Christ was born. I do not concern myself, he says. Do you concern yourself? <laughs> With what God has hidden? I think we all do. Um, you know, We want to know. Not surprisingly, that's going to cut into your contentment. We feel that we have to know the great matters, and so what do we do? We make that our ambition. No, we make it a demand sometimes to get some answers. You know why? Because this is the way... Good Americans. I deserve to know. I deserve to know. I don't even know what that means anymore. What do you mean you deserve to know what God is doing if He hasn't revealed it already? Have you read His word to know what He wants you to know and requires you to know? Sometimes submitting to the sovereign one is tough. Bowing to Him, kneeling. Are you okay with kneeling? Effectively, that's what you're doing in a service of worship. You are kneeling. Whether physically or not, spiritually, you are placing yourself before the only one who is able to save. Do you need to know it all? Why can't I have it all? Why do I have to wait? Why did this happen to me? When will the pain end, Lord? How will the pain end, Lord? Not to mention, Lord, what will the next trial be? Tell me. I need To know. Do you? Or maybe, just maybe, just maybe, what you need today is to kneel. To trust the Lord, to trust His plan, to trust His ways, to trust His timing, to trust His care. Do you think David had to learn that ever? Did David? come out of the womb, contented. Or maybe somewhere in his life he actually learned that what behind what is behind the curtain does not concern him. If you follow David's life in the scriptures, you know that there were opportunities for learning, having to wait years even, to receive the crown that was promised to him. He waited, even as Saul was bickering him and wanting to kill him. Still, he knew the promise that his God gave him, and so what could he do? He could wait. He could trust because he knew who it was who was in control, who it was who had made that promise. We have a humble heart. We have lowly eyes, verse 1, and while well, they don't need to concern themselves with the hidden purposes of God. Have I pounded this one in the ground too much? Or is this something you're going to need to hear again next week? We need to hear this every week. But we'll still move on to the next psalm. Consider yourself reminded from verse 1. It's part of the posture of kneeling. It's what the true pilgrim does. He trusts. She trusts. So that every possible who, what, where, when, why, and how that you could ask and probably have asked is placed where? You know that the Lord is the one who is on high, not you. Not me. That's good news. There's a reason to kneel. In fact, all the way up the incline. It's sort of a strange picture too, isn't it? In other words, all the way up to Zion. This is a song of ascent as we've been following. We're going upward even as we kneel. Can you picture that? You're kneeling and yet you're advancing. How can that be? Strange position. The humble posture of verse 1. The pilgrims are singing along, but are you? Are you... Able to sing. My heart is not proud, O oh Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. So far so good, Pilgrim? Just one verse. Okay, there it is. The song of your soul. Or do you still wear a little bit on the elbows? You a little tearing around the edges on the inside. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's spiritual fatigue, it's causing you to lean on something else like yourself. Maybe, it's some, maybe it is some unrepentant sin. Maybe it's weariness brought about by some, well, unrelenting worry, which, by the way, is a sin. Kneeling will help with that. Kneeling will help. And so will reclining. Kind of go together here, as we'll see. David's not done with the song. In fact, he continues the picture of contentment with another image of this uh, humble trust. And he does that in in these terms. We're going to express it this way. The the restfulness of reclining. The restfulness of reclining. Look with me at verse 2. This is how the testimony continues. After stating three things he does not do, he tells us what he does do. But I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. It's a good place to ask it again. You ready? Is that your testimony? That, that, that's what your soul is singing. Again, we're going to sing it. We're going to sing the words. But is your soul singing this song? Is it, you, you acquiesce, if you like that word. You acquiesce on the inside when you read that. Someone strikes up the tune about quiet, ah, stillness. Yes, sing it. Or you say, you know what, I don't really relate with these words, let alone with this image of a weaned child. David, what are you talking about? Well, again, in a word, this is what he's talking about. You ready? Contentment. Like a child. Doesn't need to fret for milk. Satisfied. Still. Quiet. content. And as such, that child has every reason to rest, to trust its mother. Uh, it's, not incli- uh, it's not clear uh, completely uh, what, what age child. Some of the commentators have some fun with this, but <clears throat> uh, could be a baby. could be a child four or five years old. Um, the point isn't so much the, the age of the child. Either one works. If, the, if it's a baby, of course, the baby is cuddled up uh, next to its mother after nursing. There's contentment. There's a nice picture of contentment. Have you seen that one? yeah and all of you have, you know you know that picture and then if it's the older child you can picture at least i can picture um a little 5 year old zipping around happily oblivious to the crowds happily oblivious to the cares of the world even that swirl around her she just follows somehow she's learned to trust her father at least at this time in life right Why wouldn't a five-year-old just assume that wherever it is we're going, if I stay within 15 feet, I'm probably pretty good. Just a strange contentment. We probably don't look at the daughter and say, you must be pretty contented right now because they're not thinking in those terms. But that's the way she follows. Whether a baby or an older child, the pilgrim song is before us. And remember who's singing this one. We have a group of pilgrims physically heading up to Zion for the festivals. We have parents. We have their children with them. Some children would have been carried. Some would have been following around like five-year-old girls. Where are the cares of those children? What's happening on the outside is what's happening on the inside as the incline is before them. They're trusting. They're contented. On the inside or within, as David puts it here, within, verse 2. The posture is one of reclining. It's resting, it's trusting, it's still, it's quiet. If you see those chairs at the mall, I think they're still there. What are they trying to tell you, those chairs where you can sit down and recline and get relaxed? They know that you're not enjoying your whole day. They're inviting you to come and to recline, to rest from your weariness. Do you need to rest today? On this day of rest? It's worth repeating here. The emphasis, like a weaned child, like a weaned child. That's my soul. That's my soul. That's a great picture of calm. It's a great picture of contentment. You know, in our, in our own day, uh, in our own experience, a different picture might come to mind. You know, if I were to say contentment, I already have today a few times. What is it that comes to mind? There might be something very particular you have in mind. Um, give you a second to reflect on that. Say contentment, what comes to mind? You know, for some of you, it's going to be sitting in a boat on a calm lake at sunrise. your fishing poles in hand. You're waiting. You're a little chilly, but you don't care. This is contentment. That's the picture of contentment. You say, ah. Uh, some of you, it's, uh, I've heard this one before. It's called Curling Up with a Good Book. That perplexes me. But then you add, <laughs> unless it's the good book, but, but I mean, some of you love novels. And then you add to that, not only am I curled up with a good book, I will add to that, yes, you get out your palette and you add the fireplace in the back, then the cabin. You're in a cabin fireplace with the book. Uh, It's snowing outside and there's a lazy river outside. And you just keep going and you say, yes, that is contentment. It kind of sounds like one of those Thomas Kincaid paintings. (laughs) Your laughter tells me you've seen these. Why are those so popular? They are wildly popular. Why? Why do you think it is that people have to be? It's so homey that you look at these candlelit chateaus in the middle of nowhere, and they strike this inner chord of the inner core of so many humans as they look at the picture. They enter it. They, they practically say to themselves as they walk by, they stare at it for a moment, and, and I think the cry from inside is, yes, I want to be there. I want to be there, that place, that decade, wherever that is, by that winding river, in that warm setting, on that mythical mountainside, because there, I'm telling you, right there is where I will find, ready? Contentment. Is that right? Question, can you be there while sitting in here? Can you be there while sitting in here? Or, to expand your network, while sitting at work? While driving in your car? Can you? Or is that picture of this posture of rest and recline is that by its very nature something that is out there, right? It's it's in that picture. It's not in here. How can you have contentment if it's not in here? Pick your happy place and go there. And apart from Christ, that kind of recline, you will not find contentment. Do you think David knew that? He said, this is before Christ, I know. Whose trust was David leaning on? Where was his heart? Where were his eyes? We see the picture here. David's testimony, two verses so far. And in a way, it's really a poetic version of what the Apostle Paul says about a 1,000 years later. When he said what to the Philippians? You know this one? He had learned, do you know it? He had learned to be content in whatever circumstances. Why can't it just be zapped? You know, I pray for contentment and God goes, you know, like something out of a, and then like a lightning bolt we're hit with, I talked about this recently, with wisdom. Pray for wisdom. Why can't just get wisdom like a lightning bolt? Why can't contentment come just like that? I'm not saying it can't, but it usually doesn't. Usually you learn, Paul confesses, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances. Do you know why he could say that? Because he was in Christ. We're right back to that theme. Resting in Christ, kneeling before that Lord, trusting him all the way, all the way up the incline. As Paul traveled, because he too was part of the same faith. He's on the same pilgrim path, that we find ourselves today. David walked in it. Paul walked in it. We walk in it. The faith that is placed in the Christ with the hope of the promise, the eternal promise. We're going to talk more about the promise tonight, just so you know. But as it's expressed here, it it makes complete sense that David would conclude his brief testimony, really it's a confession of faith, with a call. It's really a command, if, if you're okay with that. Not that this might... It's a command. Hear the call. Hear the command. Hear the challenge to the reader, to the singer, to lean on the same Savior, the same source of contentment that he's just described. Verse 3. Listen again. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. Put your hope. You do it. You trust the Lord or as one commentator says of this last verse, it, quote, rouses us from contemplating David to following his example and that of his greater son. And who is his greater son? It's a theological question. It's Christ. And to do so, he says, quote, not through introspection, but through being weaned from insubstantial ambitions to the only solid fare that can be ours. End quote. It's pretty tightly wound. In other words, if you want to rest, if you want this inner peace, where are you going to have to look? Outside of yourself. And America gasps. What do you mean? I thought I'm to look within. Have you tried that one? (laughs) What have you found so far? Inner peace comes from looking outside of yourself. Not just to anything outside of yourself, but to the Lord. That's clear. That's David's conclusion right here. Verse 3 states it rather plainly. Even verse 1, we hear it. We hear it in the opening confession. Why? He's kneeling. Verse 2, we see it as this contented picture of a trusting child reclining in some way. So what we have, at every turn, we have this inner calm. And where does it come? It comes from the Lord. It, it doesn't come from something we do. And again, not just Americans, but I think even American Christians might want to gasp here. And I don't want to get too glib. But this is very important. Uh, someone could easily grab a hold of verse 1. Okay. Look at it. We'll look at verse two then. Um, We could turn the song into a call, not to trust, really, but instead to toil. You want to see how this could be done? Are you ready for a burden? And then we'll go right back to reclining. You want to trust or do you want to toil? You want to get busy? You can start exercising. Work on that posture. I could pull back your shoulders, put your chest forward, walk with a book on your head, uh, take ballet, um, strengthen your core. That works. Don't lean on your elbows, I know. That's a physical demonstration of this process, adjusting posture. But to make that a spiritual application, what would that sound like? Because it could end up sounding like this. Listen closely and ask yourself if this is consistent with the tune of this song of ascent. Uh, Someone might say, oh, you want contentment along the way? You know what you're going to have to do? You want this relaxed posture as you serve? Well, okay. Notice that David says in verse 2. This is where I border on being glib. David says that I have stilled and quieted my soul. So that must mean that this peace process is up to you. I hope you just felt an anvil land on your shoulders. This is bad for posture. Anvils on your shoulders. Is it up to you? I have still, do- you need to do this. So let me give you six ways to be weaned within. And then you are awoken from your slumber because that's what you've been waiting for. Six ways to be weaned within. And then that could range anywhere from, I don't know, learn proper breathing techniques as you meditate or listen to soft music while lying down. Um, listen. Take a trip to Cannon Beach. Well, that is a good idea. Now I am listening. Uh, That would be nice. But how is that a spiritual application? How is going to Cannon Beach by itself a spiritual application? Did David even know about Cannon Beach? And numbers four, five, and six could be anything from, you know, sign up for a yoga class or psychotherapy or something. And you say to yourself, well, so far the list you've given me uh, is a list that, that pagans could do. Right? You're right. A pagan could... The world has ways of showing you contentment. And even believers in the Christ can fall prey to them. And I'm okay with listening to music and laying down things. But that's not a spiritual application. The spiritual application is right in front of us. And it seems passive, but it's not. If you want contentment, there must be trust. There will be no hope. There will be no contentment until you lean not on your shoulders or on your elbows or on your merits or on yourself, but on the Christ. Is that clear enough from here? I don't want to be overreaching here simply to make a point. We don't want to disregard David's point. We don't want to miss the posture that he has placed in front of us. Humility trust those are the applications you want something easier than that you won't find contentment not now certainly not forevermore verse 3 without humility and trust true contentment comes from the Lord and his people know that and you rest in it today I just want to illustrate very briefly here this relationship I think it's we relate with it in so many other ways but to follow the flow here in this way we have humility we have trust, and we have contentment, which is wrapped up in the call, you do it now, in verse 3. And that makes sense to us. I think we apply this uh, every day. Um, you know, Some of you have uh, someone else taking care of your finances for you, right? It's kind of nice. I don't have to worry about the stock market. I just let that person worry about it, and then I think, whew, glad I can trust you. Uh, more mundane matters even than, than that might be something breaks in your house or your car maybe, plumbing. Or last week with us, our, our washer went, got pronounced fatally ill. And you say to yourself, well, I can't fix that. It's just a washer. Why can't I fix that? Well, I can't. Humility. A confession. I can't do it. Where does that lead me? Quickly, it leads me to trust. Well, I better find someone who can fix this so I confess it out loud if necessary. I don't know what I'm doing. I will trust someone else to do this for me. A professional resulting in what? A contentment, as I let the guy with the, I think Maytag on his, he got to deal, and so I could say, I'm, it's, someone is taking care of this brokenness for me. Humility, trust, and a certain kind of contentment. See how this works? Very nicely. Resting in the work of another. You see where that's going. How much more must that be true when the problem is not a broken washer but a broken relationship with a holy God? Where are you going to get that fixed? It's only one place only one worker, one object of trust, and that's the Lord. That's the Lord who gives spiritual cleansing, who gives spiritual rest. And that's the Lord who's pleased to take upon himself all of your concerns. You came in the room today with a concern or two. It may be physical. It may be spiritual. What are you going to do with that? Because if you put it in the wrong place, if you kneel before the wrong master, if you recline in the wrong chair. You will not have contentment. We take our weary and worn souls and we take them to the cross. We take our guilt, our sin, our shame and we place them on the Christ. All of this is entrusted to another. Hear this again. O Israel, Put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. That's the posture of contentment. That is the proper adjustment to your greatest need. It comes from the Christ. The Christ whom David knew as his greater son, we went over that. The Christ that you know as God's son and as your sacrifice, as your righteousness, as your peace. And not only with the so-called Christmas season upon us, but on this day, really every Lord's Day, it's my pleasure to repeat that gospel truth to pilgrims, whom I do trust did come here very specifically to kneel and to recline in the person and in the presence of your Christ, Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, since our posture before you does have consequence, affecting how we walk, how we feel, on what we find ourselves leaning, Lord, we look to you for grace this day. Grace as you correct us where we need it. Grace as you encourage us in the road of faith that rises before us on the way to the heavenly Zion. Father, you know where each of us needs This grace from you, both our need to kneel before you in repentance and in faith, as we ought, and our need to rest in you like trusting children, as we ought. So let this song be true of your children here, content in soul because of Christ, ever trusting, ever resting in his presence, even as we walk the pilgrim way. We ask for this work in us by your word and by your spirit and in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. I'm going to sing this psalm.